Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Unscrewed the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to Unscrewed. This week, I have an episode that I recorded last week, but feels like 1,000 years ago. But I've decided I'm going to air it anyway, because even though it seems like the only thing I want to talk about and think about is... COVID-19 and how we're all taking care of ourselves and each other, I actually think we need breaks from that and to go about our lives and to have a sense of routine and all of that as well. So this is me talking to you from a safe social distance, hoping that you and yours are well as can be and are holding up as well as can be. I know this is really hard for a lot of people for a whole lot of reasons, and I'm thinking of all of you. But I'm also bringing you this episode that I recorded last week with the great and good Anuradha Bhagwati, who's a friend of mine and also the founder and former executive director of the Service Women's Action Network, which is the organization that's the reason you even know that there's a situation with sexual assault in the military that needs action on. Um, She's been just a tremendous leader and activist. And I had her on last year to talk about her memoir, Unbecoming, which is about her time becoming a Marine and then unbecoming a Marine and taking on the military over sexual assault, which, by the way, is being made into a, I forget if it's a movie or TV show, but she's being played by Frida Pinto. So that's super badass. Anyway, all of which is to say that Anuradha and I got together last week to talk about how we felt about Elizabeth Warren dropping out of the race, and more broadly, how Elizabeth Warren dropping out made us think about women and power and leadership uh, in new ways. And so you'll hear you'll, you'll hear the conversation starts off from the, the Elizabeth Warren place, but it definitely doesn't stay there. So I hope you'll let us lead you to a bunch of places. And I'll be back next week with a spare parts episode if you want to... Let me know how social distancing and pandemic is affecting your sex and sexuality. I would love to air some of those comments on the air. If you have advice questions that have to do or do not have to do with our current global situation, uh, I'm here for those as well. Send them in and we'll talk on Spare Parts next week. But now here is Anurata. What's been making you happy this week? Playing tug of war with my dog. Who knew he had that much energy? He just does not give up. 
it's hilarious because he looks at me and he, like, he grounds his paws in the dirt and he's just preparing and you know, he's preparing for the worst. And I just start laughing because he's so intense about it. He will not give up. He will not let go of that stick. You know, and if I'm not wearing gloves, it's sort of like tearing into my uh, my palms. And yeah, I mean, he's just adorable. I feel like there's a lesson there for us, right? Which is we don't always have to be the biggest or strongest if we're more tenacious. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What is some of the best sex advice you ever received? Do you, so do, do you know what happens during moments of like complete chaos and lowness? I'm going to call it lowness because it's not always depression, but I think that's the first thing to go. I really do. Your sex like drive. This, my sex drive. Or like, you know, it's also the sort of a cynicism that comes with the lack of sex drive. It's like, I don't need that. Whereas I actually believe that. So I'm, I'm offering my own advice here. <laughs> Great. <laughs> turn else. this question it's on its like, head. Turn it around. I'm just noticing that's a common response that I have in, in these stressful times when I'm single or not, you know, not with any sexual partners is the cynicism. I throw that on top of the like, oh, I don't need that. The lack of sex drive. And I think I actually do really enjoy it. So I don't know. I'm just going to just be patient around that right now. There's so much judgment about being partnered sexually and like, no, it's going to be okay. What has been making you maddest or saddest about the sexual culture lately, Anurala? I am feeling really insane about folks not sticking up for women. That's it. I don't understand how we've gotten to this point where we just don't believe, honor, trust, respect women. It blows my mind. What is a sex myth that you once believed but don't believe anymore? For me, I grew up in a really conservative, traditional household, you know, Indian, bicultural, with parents who are also immigrants and who brought some really dysfunctional values from their own upbringing to mine around sex and sexuality. So I was very repressed. I was very uneducated about sexual activity desire, you name it. Like what, for example? Like you're a bad person if you have sex before you're married. Like you're unworthy of respect from your family or community. That you, like you literally don't belong as a human. How did you unlearn that? I met feminists. <laughs> Yay, feminists! Yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable because those, those values were so ingrained, I mean, practically in the DNA. Because, you know, you, le you learn them and you sort of see how the elders interact with one another. And I don't think I was really aware until well beyond my teens that I had a lot of learning and unlearning to do because I was so unhappy in my own relationship with desire and power dynamics between the sexes. In my 20s, even in my 30s, I was unlearning a lot of this. Even now in my 40s, heck, it's just a lifelong education. Okay, last lightning round question is... Who's someone who's doing brave work to unscrew the sexual culture that you want to give a shout out to? Rhonda Gerard, who is a writer, Egyptian-Palestinian-American in California, who has written a lot on sex, sexuality, queerness, gender, and wrote a beautiful essay in BuzzFeed a couple of years ago about marriage, infidelity, BDSM, and many other things. Amazing. All right. We can put it off no longer. So let's just establish some things. You and I were both Warren supporters. Yeah. So when it was actually announced that she was 
officially dropping out even though i knew that was surely what was going to happen even though i knew by then i could look at the fucking math and be like she is not going to be the nominee i like lost my shit in a public place i just felt the profound loss of not getting to have elizabeth warren be our fucking president and just feeling like if like elizabeth warren is not a good enough candidate then no one will ever be i feel all of that even hearing you speak about her, I never had this kind of love fest relationship with Elizabeth Warren. Like I wasn't passionately supportive of her. It's just a very pragmatic decision for me. She's the most qualified. She has an answer or at least an idea to solve everything, right? She is the smartest, most capable. She's likable. It was just that simple for me. Even in the, in the work I did involving service women's equality, women in the military, I got to this point where I just realized it was fundamentally these issues are, for me, are always about meritocracy. Who's the most qualified person to get the job done? There are people who talk a whole hoopla about democracy and founding fathers and all this, what I consider to be horseshit, but who will spout all of these big phrases. But then when push comes to shove, they actually don't believe in meritocracy. I feel like our American culture has a problem with meritocracy when it comes to so many peoples, but very clearly with women. And it's deeply ingrained. I want to talk about like the deeper shit about how, regardless of our emotional engagement, we both agree it was like clearly the best candidate. Like the idea that somebody looked at Biden and was like, and Elizabeth Warren was like, I pick Biden. So I want, I want to talk about all the shit that went into the fact that this happened more than I want to talk about the actual politics of it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I also want to talk about Bernie bros. Bernie bros. And at risk of trying, I know there must be Bernie supporters listening to this. I am not naive enough to think that there aren't also Biden supporters listening to this. And I'm glad you all are listening. And I'm sure that you are right about some of the things you support about your candidate. The thing that I keep seeing that's making me feel just deeply gaslit is the idea that because of some mean tweets, you aren't going to support Bernie Sanders, who our Lord and Savior, our only hope, who's only our only hope because everybody else got snake emojied out of the fucking field. There can be no criticism of this man and that there can also be no discussion about the fact that what his supporters, including supporters that he supports, like Chapo Trap House, right? And, you know, high up staffers on his campaign enable all this shit too. That you can just count somehow the number of negative tweets and not look at like the actual experience on the receiving end of the abuse that you get. When I was in Washington and Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders, was in charge of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, he had no particular affinity for the issues of women veterans. Like for me, gender, gender was the issue through which I saw everything, right? Because that was my work. And I remember when the Phoenix scandal happened, the Phoenix VA department scandal, you know, where veterans were in line, literally dying, waiting for appointments. It's horrific. And it's, of course, nothing new for veterans in the United States. Veterans have been so poorly treated over time by their own government. 
to have them die waiting for appointments because our system is so understaffed and overtaxed. It was horrifying. And, you know, so Bernie's hosted hearings and didn't invite any women to speak. And it's amazing to me, you know, having worked on this particular issue for now, it's been about 20 years. It's personal for me, but it was like one area in which I saw his sexism. It is nothing short of sexism when a senator, a U.S. senator, chooses to only invite men to the table. So I cannot glorify Bernie Sanders. You know, when he says extraordinary things, and I'm giving him a compliment right now, paying him a compliment, when he says things about, say, Israel, Palestine, the Middle East, right, like offering the United States a totally new lens through which to explore foreign policy, like, I think that's incredible, right? And for potentially the first Jewish president to actually sort of re-examine U.S. foreign policy in Israel and the Middle East, fantastic. Fan-freaking-tastic. But I will not give him a pass on gender or race, but in this case, because I've seen it up close and personal, on gender. He is not some messiah. Like, I, he's not even close. He is also not a mediocre white guy. Like, I think he's an exceptional white guy. He's not some useless white guy who happened to get a job, right? Like, he's not one of those guys, no, in my opinion. But his campaign has been relentlessly violent against people I love Absolutely. and against sometimes me. Absolutely. And I'm not going to pretend that's not a fucking issue. Like you lead how you lead, right? Your campaign is an example of your leadership and you're enabling this shit. I know he sometimes comes out and says this should stop, but like he still goes on Chapo Trap House. He still has his staff go on Chapo Trap House. He's not trying in any meaningful way to stop this shit. I totally agree. You know, And we have to call it as we see it. When I was doing this work in Washington and my colleagues were telling me about sexism, not even in his campaign, on his Senate staff, right? Like that Bernie was was involved in that. He has a reputation. Now, whether or not his campaign followers, like his supporters around the country right now, his millions of supporters want to believe this, it's true. There is sexism in his constituency, on his staff, in his office. And it's nothing surprising, right? Like, it doesn't make him any more or less special than any of his other male colleagues. God knows Biden has a lot of issues with women and is less... A lot! ...as a platform that I like a lot less. It's really just so galling to be left with these as, as our options to older white guys who have a history of being physically or emotionally or politically violent toward women. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's a theme that's in Believe Me that I didn't intend to be there that I've been thinking a lot about as I've been doing a ton of Believe Me events and starting to hear it in a new way which is about the connection between sexual violence and women's leadership, right? And I've started to notice that when Jessica and I are talking about the book and the themes in it, that we're sort of seamlessly switching it between talking about women being believed about sexual violence and gendered violence and women being believed in as leaders. And I sort of started thinking like, we're switching between these two ideas and we're not even acknowledging we're switching back and forth between these two ideas because it really does feel like one idea to me. And part of it is because sexual violence or the threat and fear of it is used to take down women who are perceived as having too much power since time immemorial. I'm thinking also last week, the week before a Canadian oil company circulated a illustration of Greta Thunberg being violently raped. Oh, Jesus. I didn't, activist. I didn't say that. Yeah. And it was like being circulated. Who, who is a child? Right. <laughs> who is a 16 or 17 year old girl yeah. at this point? Yeah. But even if she, she wasn't a child, that for me is like, yep, it's right there. It's literally right there. Like she is trying to lead in a powerful and effective way. And the most knee jerk the most animal brain way people think to take down a woman who they perceive as having too much i'm using heavy air quotes here power is sexual violence and i really feel like the way that the abuse from bernie stands has been gendered is not an accident and also in the 2016 cycle the whole line was like I would love to vote for a woman, just not this woman. I wish Elizabeth Warren was running. And then this cycle, they're like, their goddess is AOC. But like literally AOC tweeted something nice about Elizabeth Warren's appearance on SNL and they turned on AOC, right? Like mm-hmm. it's right. Li- it's literally any woman who doesn't want power is the woman I would accept in power. But, yeah. the, but then the gendered threats of violence come. And yeah. I, well, and there's I, an ex, yeah, there's an expectation that we step in line. I feel like all your work with Swan is specifically about that, right? Like the military is about power and sexual violence, I think, is often deployed in that way in military as well. It's, you know, a very specific environment. But, but when we were working to open up combat assignments to women, yeah, of exactly. course, this is this is when the rape threats would come out. Right. So as the infantry opportunities became open to women, Marines United, which was the huge revenge porn scandal on Facebook, that's when it blossomed. It was both right after the election of the pussy grabber, literally two or three months after that. He literally emboldened those predators to harass women online. And these are men in the military, right? So it it is always when women are on the verge of stepping into places that have solely been occupied by men or mostly been occupied by men that the threat of sexual violence appears. And it is not a coincidence. It is not a fucking coincidence. And it it's so enraging. You know, the, the other thing, which I think the women who support Bernie, and again, I will be a woman who in some way uh, supports Bernie if he becomes the, the candidate. I will absolutely. 
absolutely support Bernie if he becomes a candidate. But I think any woman, whether a white woman, woman of color, queer, straight, any woman who already is supporting Bernie, who is not wrestling with the discomfort over our rage or discomfort, you know, I'm going to offer the entire spectrum of possible emotions over sexism in the campaign or among his followers, really needs to take a step back again and examine what that's about. Because for me, you know, having been immersed in these highly toxic masculine spaces for years, I mean, it, it was like the most toxic of the toxic, the, the, the Marine Corps and, and the veterans world. The kind of fervor with which I see supporters supporting Bernie is very much the same kind of fervor that I see Trump supporters supporting Trump with. And there's no difference for me. It's the same kind of emotional quality. It has the same impact on me when I hear them talking or sort of discounting women's voices, people of color's voices. It's the same thing for me. And I, I really want Bernie supporters who are women to think about that for a moment. Are our white guy bros in this campaign that much different than the president's supporters in my mind they aren't right the policies are different i don't want it in any way to anyone think that we just said like there's no difference between bernie and trump but the way the the tactics are that's right in other words i don't feel safe with either either of those groups i don't feel safe i don't feel validated yes i am bored i am bored with those dudes on both sides of the aisle i love your boredom i aspire to your boredom when we talked about this yesterday in preparation for this show, you pointed out that there are plenty of countries that certainly are thick with misogyny that have had women in their top political positions. And obviously you are Indian and are rooted in India as an example. I really want to explore that with you. Like what's different there? Like what's happening in a country like India, which certainly has a lot of issues with gender, is it better? Is there some way that it's better just because there's been a female prime minister or does it not matter? Is it matter more just symbolically? I don't know. Like what's going on there? Well, big disclaimer, the complexity of Indian politics culture is so enormous. We don't have time to disclaim it properly. Yeah. And there's nothing from the American perspective, I think, that could even make a dent in that understanding in a few minutes, just honoring that. But I, you know, I have tons of family in India, and we often go back and forth about, like, which country is more sexist? Which I think, you know, a few years ago, I was like, this is outrageous. How how can my cousins even suggest that the United States is just as sexist as India is? You know, you look at, for, for me, it's it's the most visceral stuff that fires me up and that sort of makes me enraged about the situation of women and girls in India. It's the enormous prevalence of gang rape of female children in India. It is girls who are infants, toddlers, and it's on such a massive scale. It's not one or two, because of course that happens, unfortunately, in all countries across the world. But 
It is not uncommon to hear a child rape story in the press every week in India. Some of it is fueled by religious violence, uh, sectarian violence, but it is not uncommon. And men generally are ingrained with the expectation that women are solely there to be sexual objects. And I think any Indian man who is denying that has not done the work of looking deeply at his privilege or his, his personal education. Again, we've got bride burning, right? We've got the dowry system. We've got acid throwing. Like, it's really violent stuff. It's really fucking bad. And yet, Indira Gandhi, right? Now, you say what you want. You know, she's from India's version of Maggie Thatcher. But we have a model in India for what women can aspire to. And of course, you know, this is putting aside caste and poverty and many other things, right? Again, complex situation. But it is not unusual to see women in positions of enormous power in Indian politics. And that woman was a force of nature, whatever you think about her. Does it then not matter as much as we think it would to have women in leadership? If you work on the caste problem and the poverty problem, right, and the education, access to education problem and the colorism problem, then if you get women who are Dalit and Muslim in positions of power in India, we're going to start seeing some changes. But see, now you sound like Bernie Sanders. I do. I do. (laughs) He would probably agree with me. Yeah. This is a, a functionally a class analysis. It is. The issue of caste in India is so freaking disgusting. Yeah, I have to say, as an American, thinking about the way caste works in India, still, I'm like, really? Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. really. It seems so <laughs> unreal that that would still be a thing. The issue of caste plus the issue of Islamophobia is creating such dysfunction in terms of where India could potentially go, right? I mean, it it cannot call itself a democracy until it deals fundamentally and transforms the issues of caste, Islamophobia, and misogyny. Like, these are three things that go hand in hand. So still keeping our eye on, like, Elizabeth Warren, right? I had to reevaluate when we basically tossed Elizabeth Warren to the side a a week ago, we Americans. I was like, is our country, is the United States really more evolved than a place like India where acid throwing and bride burning is still a thing? And my answer after reflecting on that for many years is no, I don't think we are more evolved. We are not more evolved than, these are also huge air quotes, than the shithole countries that our president has referred to, and very, very grateful to him for actually putting that in the public space, because many of us here in the West, and in the United States in particular, look at the other other parts of the world. And that's what we're thinking. We just don't say it in public. So bravo, Donald. But I don't believe we're more evolved. Some of us, we consider ourselves so so civilized. You know, we have daughters and sisters who will send to school, will, you know, enable them. I'm again, air quoting, but, you know, we'll let them go to school. Like, in in other words, I'm referring to in in India and other poor parts of the world where girls don't even have access to education. Right. right? Um, But here, you know, we allegedly support the education of girls and women, higher education, college, even beyond. Right. But we don't actually support their dreams to lead men. Nope. This is like some fundamental dysfunction we have in American society. very deep. It's very deep. Like, I will never be convinced, never, that if Elizabeth Warren had been a man, 
that she wouldn't have run away with this primary. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Even like this, this talk about Ivanka being, <laughs> being or or Nikki Haley. It is just it's a nightmare. And so so like why is it that the American consciousness can allow for that to happen? Right? Like oh, what is I it mean, about I actually can answer that question quite simply. It's about white supremacy, right? So it feels less of a threat to let a woman lead if she's doing the work of upholding and reinscribing white supremacy. Right. So there you go. I mean, same same argument for Indira Gandhi, right? Upholding the status quo, right? And Margaret Thatcher, and I wonder if we looked at a lot of countries that have had female prime ministers, if a disproportionate number of them were conservative status quo candidates. Listeners, if you know of a study about that, I'd be curious to see it, and I will share it with everybody in a future episode. What's your direction forward right now? I've been thinking about, okay, so we've got these two elderly white men. They're the same age as my parents with whom I live right now, my elderly Indian parents. And they're brilliant. My parents are brilliant elders, certainly as brilliant as Bernie and Joe, right? But like, I'm taking care of them. I'm making sure they don't go out and expose themselves to this ridiculous virus. But we're more than happy to have elders lead our country when they're not in the physical shape that I think we require right now for a United States president to handle the issues that are being presented right now to include climate change and war and global pandemics. But so the most important thing for me right now is who's that vice president. And so if Bernie and Joe want to nominate tremendous women, women of color, I think that either of those two will likely become the first female president. That's honestly like my that is my hope. Me too. I'm like, <laughs> one of them needs to pick Stacey Abrams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be something? Because huh? she's on record. I don't want to just randomly name women of color and like nominate them for this shit. Because like most of them probably don't even want the fucking job. But Stacey Abrams is on record saying that she's open to VP invites from any of the candidates. She said this months ago. And I just think she would be fucking tremendous. Talk about a systems analysis and leadership skills. I don't know how optimistic I am that either of them will do that. But it's what I'm really hoping for. And I'm just going to put my energy on ballot races like if we focus on flipping the senate we'll turn out enough turnout that's going to vote democratic to take the presidency too i like your optimism jacqueline I really i'm not like saying it. we can yeah. do that i'm just saying for p and, and it's not even an original thought actually there was a piece going around about like what to do if you wind up hating the eventual nominee which is going to be a lot of us because it's been a pretty polarizing primary and it basically was like focus your energy in down ballot races because Democratic turnout is Democratic turnout. Like if you if you turn out voters that are going to vote Dem for Senate or House or even your state races, the odds are going to vote the top of the ticket are very strong. And then you don't have to like spend your days singing the praises of someone who it pains you to sing the praises mm -hmm. of. I may not want to put my full energy into the top of the ticket this time around, but we'll all be growing in the same direction. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Susan Collins is seat is up for grabs and i'm not that far from maine so i might really double down up there yeah yeah she's got to go so pick somewhere where you feel like you can make a difference and work there that's my always activist advice yeah i think that's right and you know for me since 2016 and this is where i feel like between you and me we fall along like a broad spectrum of responses to a horrific presidential election and you know the the white supremacy rise in the united states and globally but i have always 
been a fan of, or increasingly, I shouldn't say always, but since in the last four years, I've been a fan of taking a step back when you need to. In other words, the best thing you might need to do is take care of you and your loved ones. It's the other side of the coin. It really is. If you want to plunge yourself into activism, by all means, do it. And if you don't, trust your gut. <laughs> like, just trust your gut. There's a huge spectrum between those two points also. Like, you can do a little. You can spend one day canvassing or making phone calls or make a donation. Or like, it's not all or nothing either. That's absolutely right. You know, there's a strong sense of, on the left, like, you need to immerse yourself in guilt and feel guilty all the time if you're not martyring yourself for the cause. And I think it's a really dysfunctional thing that's been introduced by the patriarchy um, to, to make us feel weaker and burn us the fuck out. I mean, I've, I've experienced that burnout. It's ugly. And I would rather people, again, trust what their guts are saying about what they should be doing in these moments. Do what you need to do to feel healthy and whole. <laughs> community care right like i think that yeah there's different layers i'm glad that you're in my community and we're also helping take care of each other on i am always grateful for you jacqueline i don't know what's going to happen next with women in politics but i'm not feeling devastated i feel like we're in this for the long haul and we're going to figure it out and i don't say that in any kind of pat way so i think that's our best option anyway is to just keep trying to figure it out because the other way is despair well, I love you. Where can people find you? You're not actually on social media terribly much, but like if people want to follow your work or connect with you, what's the best way? I'm on Twitter at anubugwithy.com. Talk about white supremacy on Twitter. I can't put my full name on Rada because there is not enough space what? in the Twitter handle. So I've been reduced to <gasps> Anubugwithy, which is not what I want to be called. I've been wondering it, because I know that a few years ago you made a big effort to get everyone to stop calling you the shortened version of your name and just say your true. fucking name, which is very fair. Aside from Anubugwithy, my website's anuradabugwithy.com. So you can find me there for sure. And you can also find Anuradha in Believe Me. Uh, where she wrote about her relationship with her service dog, Duke, who you've heard in the background in this episode. Yeah, he has been, like, wildly commenting. Excellent. Uh, it's like the more riled up we are about the same <laughs> in the world, the more riled up he is. That's what I expect. He is absolutely a protector in, in all the, the right ways. And you can find me all the usual places on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F., on Instagram, Jacqueline Effable, on my website, JacquelineFriedman.com, where all the latest event information will be. You know, I've got all my upcoming dates for spring, but also we'll be updating them as things are sometimes canceling because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Bizarre times we live in. Here, <laughs> here we are. But you can always get fairly up-to-date info there or hit me up directly if you have questions about any of the upcoming events and whether they're happening. If you want to kick in a couple of bucks a month to support my work, you can do that on my Patreon. Just put my name in on Patreon and you'll find me. I've been writing fairly canted every week or so, sometimes two weeks, depending how busy I am. You'll get a lot more insight into how I am and what I'm thinking about on any given day, as well as opportunity to chat with other folks who also are part of Unscrewed Nation. You can, of course, find Unscrewed wherever podcasts are available. We are on the Acast Network. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all those great places. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure while you're in there, you give us a little five-star review and help other people find the show. 
Unscrewed is produced by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman, and edited by the fantabulous Natalia Rodriguez. Our in and out music is by The Pink Tiles, and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna. Until next week, I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.